0: Why is your phone not on silent?
1: It's getting there, okay? Okay. It's close.
0: It's close to being on silent? Mm hmm. What about all these new leaves on your plant that aren't unfurling? Yeah,
1: I don't know. They're, uh, they're What's taking. What's wrong with your plant? They're, they're taking a while. It's doing fine.
0: What's wrong with your plant? Uh,
1: sometimes they're shy.
0: Welcome to Chronicling Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. And today we are discussing chapter nine of The Silver Chair. This chapter is called, How They Discovered Something Worth Knowing. I am a voice, but not the one in the whole world that each had been secretly hoping for. I am a dark, flat voice. Almost, if you know what that means, a pitch black voice.
1: Wow, it's pretty intense.
0: Also known as Kristen. Whew,
1: I'm a little and intimidated now.
0: <laughs> this is my co-host.
1: I'm an elegant little biped. <laughs> also known as Chris.
0: Hello, Chris. Welcome. How are you today?
1: Uh, elegant, apparently.
0: Yeah, you're so elegant.
1: Uh, good. Just had a pretty pretty solid breakfast, you know. Yeah nice nice mm-hmm. was, uh what did you call it a big food
0: big food, <laughs> big yes. food.
1: yeah and we had a big food
0: I wanted big food <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to have like a bagel or or like some protein uh, and a hard-boiled egg I wanted a big food
1: <laughs> but if you had all those together would that be a big food or is that like just
0: I don't know I wanted I wanted a big food
1: I don't know it's Apparently you're just into second breakfast now and you're going to have that today too, so.
0: No, only when my first <laughs> breakfast is just like a bread roll and coffee. Uh-huh. Then I have a second breakfast. Must this be. was a big breakfast. We're good.
1: Must be nice having your lifestyle. Oh. Anyway, have we bantered enough? Should we start? Do we sure. need more banter? Let's start. Okay.
0: Tell us, tell us, what do we do first?
1: Uh, We summarize the chapter. We do pick we? five sentences and we read them. We write them down first, (laughs) then we read them aloud on the podcast to summarize the chapter to start off with.
0: Yes, in the chapter's own words, so we pull some sentences out of context. Yeah. Would you like to go first, or shall I?
1: Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and go first. Why not?
0: I do it. Do it.
1: (laughs) Okay. Mine is very long this time. A lot of long sentences in this chapter. There are. All right. At lunchtime, something happened which made all three of them more anxious than ever to leave the castle of the gentle giants. Scrub, who had been in that world before and had at least one talking beast as his dear friend, felt horrified, as he might feel about a murder. And now it was a question of tiptoe work, not daring to go too fast, hardly daring to breathe out through the scullery, giant sculleries smell horrid, out at last into the pale sunlight of a winter afternoon. There, about half a mile away, was the hunt returning from behind them on the left. Then, Puddleglum, holding out a hand behind him to Scrub, and Scrub holding out a hand behind him to Jill, who wished very much she was in the middle of the party and not the last, they began groping with their feet and stumbling forward into the blackness.
0: There we go. There we go. There we go. I'm glad you included some stuff that I did not. Cool. All right. So, for my sentences, Mm -hmm. um, I did not include the lunch stuff. I was hoping you would because I feel like it's really important, but I didn't include it. Okay. So, I'm glad that you did. Here's my summary. As soon as the king and the rest of the hunting party had set off, she began making a tour of the whole castle and asking questions, but all in such an innocent and babyish way that no one could suspect her of any secret design. She made special friends with the cook and discovered the all-important fact there was a scullery door which let you out through the outer wall so that you did not have to cross the courtyard or pass the great gatehouse. A few minutes ago when they had been in the kitchen she had thought that if only they could once get out of the castle their escape would be almost complete. As he came to the lowest step he stopped looked a little to his right, and all of a sudden darted into a little hole or crevice at the bottom of it. What make you hear, creatures of the overworld?
1: Yeah, I didn't do that last sentence because I thought it was too much of a cliffhanger and didn't go anywhere. But, yeah, you know, but it, a, it nah. definitely
0: establishes setting for where they got to.
1: It doesn't. They're without having to apparently. say that
0: they fell a mile. It's pretty far. Yeah.
1: Have you ever fallen a mile before? <laughs>
0: no but if i did i'd be sure i'd lose my
1: tinderbox yeah you always said that on you yeah and would be a shame all right so
0: this is a this is a dense chapter
1: it's a dense chapter but Um
0: does anything actually happen
1: uh a few things happen i i don't know how i feel about the writing of jill here okay because we, we start out basically being like, we're more than halfway through the book. We're in chapter 9 of... Of 16. 16, yeah. We're, we are now in the back half of the book. And this is the first time that Jill does something remotely useful in okay. the story.
0: But what has what has Eustace done that was remotely useful to
1: this point? I don't know. Puddlegum is the main character of this book. So, like, that's... It's, yeah. I don't know. Eustace hasn't been super useful either, I guess. But, like, this is the—but he had his own thing. He had a story. Like, he had his redemption arc. He was a dragon. Like, he's got his thing. This is Jill's book, theoretically. So he's supposed to be the protagonist. Are you sure? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I, this is my opinion. You don't—
0: No, no, no. I'm just—we had, like, a, a whole—almost a whole chapter where it was just her and Aslan. So it's fair to think that she's the main character yes. because— you know, Puddleglum was introduced later, and Eustace was gone for a good part of that first, you know, yeah. chapter that she was with Aslan, second chapter or whatever. Uh-huh. So, yeah.
1: But it bothers me that, like, she's supposed to be the protagonist of the book. We're in the back half before she actually does anything, like, protagonisty or useful, and the first useful thing that she does is, like, pretend prattle on child. and pretend to be stupid.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and giggle and prattle. And- yeah. Not actually say anything, though her tongue was never still.
1: And this is the first thing that we know Jill is good at, is pretending to be dumb.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a thing.
1: Uh-huh.
0: However, uh, girls are much better at this than than boys, and boys are even better at it than Marsh Wiggles. Yeah, so. they are. Um, Yeah, it's a lot. It's a thing. Uh, It's manipulation. It's a lot of traits that you don't like to see associated. However, it's also Jill getting to be a strong character. Like, she has stuff that she gets to do and she gets them out.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, she made love to everyone.
0: There are a lot, there are a lot of sentences. That don't age well into contemporary uh, uh, English Uh in this chapter. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Including she made love to everybody. uh, Talking about the hooters and the traffic outside that you learn to ignore.
1: I don't ignore the hooters outside my window.
0: And things like that, yes. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of sentences that just don't translate well. Mm -hmm. However, um... Jill's character. First, while you're complaining about nothing (laughs) happening from any of the characters to this point, we have had the characters mess up the signs. Yes. So they have done actions that resulted in plot. Yes. That said, what have the other children done in the other books to this point that, like affected plot in the first nine chapters. Like, yes, in The Horse and His Boy, lots happened Yes. by this point in the book. But, like, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, by this point, they hadn't even met Aslan yet.
1: Yeah, I feel like in Prince Caspian, though, like, it's he's much In Prince morbid.
0: Caspian, by this point, Lucy had finally convinced them to follow Aslan.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was more talking about Caspian himself, but...
0: Yeah, but... Like, Lucy and the others. Yeah. The quote-unquote main characters.
1: Yeah. A lot happened in Magician's Nephew by this point. Like, there was so much plot. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. True. Cool.
0: So we're like 50-50 on this kind of development of Lewis's writing style to actually, like, have the main characters drive the plot. Yeah. However, the main characters have been driving the plot of this book fully in their failures, and that makes it a very unique book. Um, I mean, there's some of that in Prince Caspian with them not seeing Aslan. You but know, it's yeah. definitely, like, the driving force of this book is how their mistakes keep the plot moving.
1: Yeah, and in that, I guess, it, you know, it's like beating a dead horse at this point to be like, let's talk about Tolkien. But in that, I almost feel like this is the most uh, Hobbit-ish Of the Narnia books Hmm. because like reading through the Hobbit like for a large portion of it like main character is not like a traditional protagonist or a hero and like you know Bilbo and the dwarves just kind of stumble from one misadventure into the other and like screw up a bunch of stuff and like (laughs) that's that is what drives the plot forward so I guess if you're drawing that comparison this is very similar in structure to the Hobbit or like the characters just stumble into mistakes that end up, you know, somehow they end up surviving. Yeah. So.
0: I mean, that's how Bilbo found the ring to begin with. Yeah. So. Cool. Like, stumbling into it.
1: He did. Uh, So anyway, she goes about the castle, uh, and she, you know, she submits to being kissed and pawed by any number of giantesses. Yes. (laughs) And does this whole act, uh, which, you know, allows her to learn some things like the only important thing she really learns is that hey there's a door that leads to the scullery that leads outside the castle which is the one door you can go out that doesn't have to go through the courtyard yep huzzah so we learn this uh, and then all all these giantesses who are interacting with her and think she's adorable like seem very sad and it's a pity about something happening yes but we don't know what yet uh she's going into an arranged marriage with like a really dumb giant or something I don't know. <laughs> So.
0: Yeah, that's totally it.
1: Totally a thing. Uh, then they have lunch, and they're uh, they're eating some cold venison. Which, which
0: Jill uh, has never had before. Nor have I. No.
1: I don't think I've ever had venison before. I or don't or believe
0: I. I have either.
1: Huh. Anyway, <laughs> they're eating cold venison, and then over overhears some stuff, and it's just like, nope, got to stop immediately, don't eat another bite. That's what happens, Kristen.
0: Because the Giants are saying in the background that the stag lied to them and that he was actually quite tender. Yeah. Which means that this was a talking animal that they killed and then served to the kids. Yeah. And it affects them all differently because Jill hasn't been here before. So she's just like, Oh, poor thing. Um, Eustace feels like this murder because he has friends who are talking animals including Reed Uh and feels like this is akin to murder puddle glum though feels like this is akin to eating a baby which i think is the most realistic view of this like this is someone killed and like this is what is the word i'm looking for when when you eat humans what is cannibalism that? cannibalism uh-huh like this is cannibalism yeah so yeah it's it's intense this is a really intense scene is it's, it's yeah. a lot yeah um But also, like, Puddleglum's response to this is like, oh, we're cursed, Mm -hmm. and it would be better for us to kill ourselves if that was allowed. Yep. Like, that's a really intense response, Mm -hmm. because he's basically just like, nope, we're cursed. Aslan won't have anything to do with us. This is our punishment for messing up the signs. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a really intense scene. Yeah. And I wanted to dig into it a little bit more on a theological side, but I also want, like, I wanted to, I oh. wanted to get you going on a theo- theological side. But I also like feel like there is, I, I mean, I don't know, it's it's intense because like we all, re- we as the readers know that the giants intend to eat these kids.
1: What do we?
0: But the kids still haven't figured it out. Uh huh. Apparently. Yeah. And so this is less, like, surprising to us as the audience because we know that these kids are about to get eaten anyway. Uh-huh. But, like, I don't know. It was a surprising scene to me that it was put in the book. hmm Like, what are your thoughts?
1: It's a really intense scene, which I feel like, you know, this is... It's a problem with a lot of the, like emotionally heavy moments of the narnia books because due to the nature of the book and the the structure of the storytelling it's something where it's like hey hey there's this like very intense emotional moment uh and like they've committed some grievous sin and puddlegum's like yeah we should kill ourselves but then we immediately move on to something else like there's no we don't really explore that space it's just like hey emotions let's move on we need to get to the next plot point yeah and like reading it like at the speed an adult would read this book it's just like i don't know you don't have time to you don't have any time to really sit with that
0: yeah you absolutely don't
1: and and so it's it always feels weird to me because it's just like oh hey we're trying to make something happen here but plot let's keep going yeah so i don't know i don't know where you'd go with that without turning the book into like a very dark uh you know existentialist take on uh (laughs) what it means to be alive and human yeah uh but
0: that said though there's also the really intense emotional that being said also there's the really intense emotional moment when they read the cookbook Uh and that then drives them to get out even more
1: yeah
0: um and i feel like this moment with the lunch is an important driving of them trying to get out like it made them like the sentence you used that at lunchtime something happened which made what which made all three of them
1: more more anxious anxious. yeah
0: Yeah, like they're they're more anxious than ever to get out Uh
1: uh-huh
0: trying to read your handwriting upside down (laughs) and you have a hard enough time reading your handwriting i don't know what i'm doing
1: this is not a uh, chris's handwriting analysis podcast <laughs> okay
0: i don't yes it's not but
1: uh so anyway they discover this it's pretty horrifying and they're all just like yep need to leave the castle sooner rather than later because obviously these are not the gentle giants we thought they were at all who would have guessed shocking. crazy huh
0: shocking you mean uh-huh. the green lady who lied to them about the ruins
1: yeah really crazy uh, but then the feast dies down, everybody leaves, they see their moment, and there's just one giant left in the kitchen. Yep. Uh, some old lady, uh, and they're just waiting for her to fall asleep or go away or something so they can get out.
0: She asked them to make sure that the back door is open so that the cat can get in. Yeah.
1: You gotta let puss in. Yep. Is it like or, a regular. Or deer. Yeah. Is it, like, a
0: regular-sized cat? Probably, like, I, I mean, like... the dogs are regular-sized. Yeah.
1: Because I feel like, like, a regular-sized cat with the scale that we've seen of the giants would be, like, I don't know like you having a pet cockroach (laughs) like it just be like yeah gotta leave the door open though for
0: yep we can't you know
1: and then jill finds a cookbook yeah she's looking around well she finds a giant pie tins
0: that she could comfortably lay down in
1: well uh and then finds a cookbook. And it uh, starts off with uh, talking about mallard, uh, delicious bird, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Can, Which living. can
0: be cooked in a variety of ways. Like, for a cookbook, <laughs> that is the least helpful cooking instruction. It is a mallard. Mm-hmm. It is a delicious bird that can be cooked in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. That is the entire entry on mallards.
1: Yeah. That it is. Uh, and then she keeps going. And right It's under- really
0: important to know that it's in alphabetical order, though. Yes.
1: And right under mallards. Man. Oh my God. What? What? People? People. Humans? Mm-hmm. It's a cookbook.
0: Tell us how to prepare a man,
1: though. Uh, there's something I was going to look, uh, well, <laughs> this elegant little biped has been long been valued as a delicacy. It forms a traditional part of the autumn feast, and <gasps> is served between the fish and the joint. Each man, well, that's as far as it goes. Dot, dot, like, dot. Like, kind of really want recipes here. Yeah. But, uh. I, want, I wanted to pause here uh, for a couple of reasons. One was to look at the timing of something. So the Silver Chair was released in 50s at some point. Yes. When was the original release date?
0: Uh, I don't know the original date. The, the year is 1953.
1: Published in 1953. It made me think of an old Twilight Zone episode. Okay. Uh, called uh, How to Serve Man where mm-hmm. the whole premise of the twilight zone episode is that these aliens come down to earth that are like super advanced and being like ermagird you poor primitive people we have so much to teach you and offer you etc etc and they're trying to like you know integrate themselves into human society yeah and like have diplomats come aboard their ship and talk about oh hey this is like these are all the wonderful things we want to give you and like they you know, see this book that's like how to serve man because they have this whole guide about, you know, how to to help humanity. And then the twist at the end of the episode is uh, somebody who discovers it's actually a cookbook and they're here to eat all the humans. Okay. And uh, that was the thing. That episode was originally aired in 1962. However, it was based on a science fiction short story by the same name. That was published in 1950. Okay. So that predates Silver Chair.
0: Okay. But was Lewis reading sci fi? <laughs> I don't know. He was
1: into it. He wrote three sci fi books. True. It's like, uh, I mean.
0: Good point. For God. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, it was re- uh, written in. Uh, published in November 1950 by Damon Knight. So. don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something here. Like the idea of giants eating children is obviously ancient. But the idea of them finding the cookbook specifically for man seems... Yeah. You know, maybe there's an off chance that's a reference. But not only do obscure. they find
0: man in there, they also find marshwiggle.
1: They find marshwiggle. Uh, They're but stringy, though. Stringy, they taste like mud, just really gross.
0: Yeah.
1: But I wanted to pause in the marshwiggle entry because I feel like this does so much world building right here, just in this line, because they find the entry for for Marsh Wiggle, and it says... Some authorities reject this animal altogether as unfit for giants consumption, etc, etc. So not only do we have like a published giant cookbook that we find, mm-hmm. but it re- makes reference to some authorities
0: in the cooking
1: and there is a giant cooking community <laughs> out there. And so like this paints the picture of, like, I would say, Harfang might be like the most advanced society on Narnia. Because I feel like not only having, like, published cookbooks, like, this isn't handwritten by the old giant lady, oh, hey, this is whatever, but, like, this is, like, part of the whole cooking community, and there are authorities, and there are, like, people that do food professionally here. Okay. Which I feel like, I don't know, that, uh, that paints the picture that they're, uh, they're pretty developed, they're pretty advanced possibly more so than, like, the human society of Narnia, because, like, I feel like the... I don't know, I feel like as it's been portrayed so far, human society in Narnia is pre-Renaissance, like, Middle Ages pre-Renaissance. Yeah. Like, it's very like, I don't know, lords and castles and fiefdoms and, and this kind of thing, but there's not a lot, a lot of, like, scientific advancement or, like... Things like that. And anyway, and in the society, like, you know, seventy years ago or whatever at this point was the first time they had made like an ocean going vessel in hundreds of years. Like it's kind of that level of thing. Uh, which obviously Which I mean also though,
0: like the Telmarine invasion sent Narnia back. Yeah. And like there was a dark age of Narnia.
1: Yeah. Which maybe happened for the Giants as well, because there is a ruined city. And maybe yeah. this is, uh, this is just like the second coming of the giant empire. Who knows? Uh, anyway, I just <laughs> wanted to, I just, I just felt like that was, uh, that was an inspired bit of world building, whether it was intentional or not. Yeah. Because it just like, it, it tells us so much about giant society and I'm intrigued. Also, I have an art on this page, uh, again, Getting real weird with the scale of the giants here.
0: Yeah, because and that's <laughs> the that's the chapter art that I have. Uh-huh. It says in the text that she stands on the bench next uh-huh. to the table and reads from there. Uh huh. So the she should be able to stand on the bench and read the book, but yeah. in this picture, she's like half the height of the book that she's reading. Like
1: yeah. So like it's a it's a thing. Anyway. We'll, we'll come up with a bunch of diagrams about how large giants are at some point. Yeah. will be on our Patreon. Um, but they read this in the cookbook. They're just like, Ermigerd, we have to go. Uh, and then they wait for the lady to sleep. And they're going to sneak out. And, oh, hey, look. They're outside the city. Yep, but that was they, easy. But then they realize that was the easy part. And now the hard part comes because, like, there's, like, 50 windows on that side of the city. And anybody could just look outside and see them. Yeah, everybody because could look outside. it, out is, it is still daytime.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and we've established that there's windows on that side because that's how they found the under me comment anyway. Like, they they knew to go, they knew the message, they got the message by looking out the windows. Yeah. So, they they knew that there was a bunch of windows on that side. However, yeah, they, they were kind of stuck one way or the other. If they're going back to the ruins, to the message, they didn't really have any choice on on how to get there without trying to hide closer to the castle until nightfall, like, yeah, which is a really scary option too. Yeah. Especially when the hunt's coming back with the dogs.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're also wearing very bright clothing. Yeah. The giants have provided them.
0: The kids are. Yes. Yeah. Them is not because they couldn't find anything that would fit him.
1: Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm like knowing for sure. Now that the giants had intended to eat them the entire time. Erma shocked. shock. Why did they give Eustace a sword? Why did they give them brightly colored fancy clothes? I mean, to decorate them. Yeah, but that's like being, me being like, hey, really excited about Thanksgiving this year. I'm a, going to go buy a live turkey. I'm
0: going to go dress my turkey? Yeah, I'm
1: going to... Well, no. Uh, You're no, going to go no. dress no, your the, turkey? The direct equivalent here is like, oh, hey, I'm going to buy a live turkey because like I want to do all the butchering myself, but I'm going to bring the live turkey home. I'm going to have it live in my backyard and feed it, and I'm going to put a little top hat on him and maybe like a little bow tie, and I'm going to make him look real cute.
0: And maybe you're going to buy little 3D printed plastic T-Rex arms to put on him. Yeah. Like the person on TikTok that I saw yesterday and showed you, and I was crying, (laughs) I was laughing so hard about her chicken with little T-Rex arms. Uh
1: Uh-huh. This is a thing that people do. We can get you a chicken. These are things
0: that people do.
1: Yes, but like, that was probably like a pet and not something that she was planning on eating. So... I don't know, I just feel like it's weird to have, like, your live food that you're going to butcher for the feast and, like, play dress up with it.
0: Okay, but it's, it's also <laughs> a sentient life form. Yes. Like...
1: So, there we go. We're making hot takes on this podcast. Turkeys aren't sentient. Don't add us. Um, <laughs> anyway. So they head out, they realize they're wearing really, bright red clothes, and they're like, well, let's go for it anyway. Don't run, because if you run... That makes it obvious we're doing something wrong. Yeah. So they very slowly uh, take a casual stroll outside the city, and they escape, and everything is going well until...
0: They hear the hunting horn.
1: Convenient timing, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, which seems like they haven't been gone very long. Like, they leave it, like, timing-wise, I feel like they leave in the morning, and, like, by mid-afternoon, they're already coming back. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a pretty quick little hunting party. Whatever they were hunting out there, they found it. Maybe. Um, so anyway, Hunting Party comes back, they spot them. then they have to take off. They start ra- off running, and Puddle Glum, uh, is the first one to find some little crack in the earth that's just like, alright, let's get in here.
0: Well, the, the, one of the giants yells that they have to catch them or else they'll have no man pies for the feast. So, like, we finally actually have one of the giants admitting their intention here.
1: No, I mean... I would hate to have no man pies. In,
0: in case there was in case there was any lack of clarity. Yeah. They intended to eat them. Yeah. They intended to eat the children, guys. Wow. Wow. Because we we have to spell it out completely for for children. Uh huh. To the fullest extent that we can describe and explain.
1: Yeah, well children are stupid, so I know. This is this. this funnies for the podcast. Uh <laughs> Anyway, so they find themselves in this hole. Uh they squeeze into it. They have to pile up a bunch of rocks to seal the entrance. And they're uh in complete darkness. Yep. And they're stumbling around for a bit. And uh apparently they found their way into some sort of cave or
0: yeah, something whatever. that's tall enough that they can stand yeah. up in.
1: And something big enough for them to wander. But then oh no.
0: But do oh no, what happens?
1: Well, I bet there's dragons in there, but oh no, they start falling.
0: Yeah, there's definitely dragons. I mean, Puddlegum <laughs> does say, I don't know if it would be better for us to go back and be in their feast.
1: Yeah. Or we'll to continue to wander
0: about here where there's probably dragons.
1: And gases.
0: And gases. <sighs> and water. Yeah. Does he say water?
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah. He doesn't get to finish his spell to protect them from falling into deep holes.
1: He doesn't. It's, uh, it's the first instance we've seen him fail at. It's, yeah. uh It's pretty intense. And they start falling, and they fall down a really a uh, steep hill of some kind.
0: It's not smooth.
1: It's not smooth. They're kicking up a bunch of rocks, uh, and they get to the bottom bruised and bloody and beaten, but nobody's broken any bones.
0: Huzzah! Like, nobody's dead. But Jill does have a brief moment where she considers, like... What if she is alone now? Puddle Glum and Eustace might be dead.
1: Yeah, but they're not. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. <sighs> uh, that was some intention motion. Sorry. Right.
1: Yeah. One Oof. sentence to the next. Yep. Hey, okay. they're not dead. All right. Uh, <laughs> Whoo. Anyway, and then uh, Puddle posits they might be posits they might be nearly a mile down because it's warm down here.
0: Yeah. How warm Shoo. is it?
1: Yeah. Um, that doesn't say. Uh,
0: no. It doesn't.
1: Yeah, they just said. Has anyone noticed it how was warm a it joke. is? Oh, okay. Uh, but it's a joke. Okay.
0: But it was. It's. It's. It's warm. Uh huh. So it's warm enough that they have to be like a mile down. Yeah. And, you know, they just kind of try to figure out where to go. Puddle Glum Puddleglum noticed boxes, that he yeah. lost his tinderbox and.
1: So they're in the darkness.
0: Jill remarks that she's hungry and.
1: Then they hear a voice out of the darkness a black voice not aslan
0: not aslan
1: uh it doesn't it also doesn't seem like a giant's voice so no uh but we we haven't found underground giants we don't know what we found but uh it asks uh about them being creatures of the overworld so obviously we've gone down to the underworld
0: we have obviously gone to the underworld or the underdark Uh uh-huh as it were yeah so here we are
1: yeah cool uh, anything else we need to talk about? Or is that...
0: I mean, that's kind of the plot here. There were a few things, like, I wanted to talk about the Underdark, like, the idea of this kind of underworld.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, conceptually, we haven't encountered this in Narnia before.
1: Yeah. And I
0: think that it's an interesting thing to add in at this point. And I really think that this is, like, some cool continuous world building. Because, mm-hmm. like, we have Narnia. Yeah. And then we have, like, the development of a history for Narnia in Prince Caspian.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And we have, like, the exploration of the growth of things and the magic that's protected Narnia in The Magician's Nephew. Mm-hmm. And then we have the ocean exploration and Voyage of the Dawn Treader. We have exploration of a whole other part of the world mm-hmm. in Archenland and uh, Callerman, yeah. uh in, in The Horse and His Boy. Yeah. And here we're like, all right, well, we're going to go north now. Yep. Yeah. We're going to go in the other direction because we've talked about the Telmarine's coming from the west. We have taken a boat off to the east. We've explored the countries to the south. Now we're going to explore to the north. And we have great world building here where it's not just, oh, yeah, there's giants who live in the mountains. But now there's this whole underdark. There's this whole underworld of the north. Uh-huh. that we are exploring for the first time and that's going to be really cool to go into in the next chapter I think. Yeah. But like it's it's definitely developing the world as a whole in a much more full manner and it's really cool. Um also we have the giants who are hunting Narnian talking animals. Like are these animals that have just wandered up into giant territory or are the giants doing raids down into Narnia to hunt for talking animals
1: well, we've never seen talking animals outside narnia we haven't mm-hmm. maybe like, that's why the war except started. except for brie yeah
0: and so yeah maybe that is part of the the history of the war there with king peter but that was thousands of years ago
1: hey, hey you're getting into baseless speculation here this is my territory
0: no you're <laughs> the one who said that this might have been the basis of the war i yeah. repeated your words this okay. is your speculation <laughs> that you brought up now don't accuse me of stealing your segment okay i am telling you like I, I love this idea of a more fully developed world around Narnia. Yeah. And I like that, that he's doing something here with the giant country that we haven't seen before in Narnia. Yeah. Because it does make sense that in a country ruled by giants, there would be um, critters and creatures and sentient beings in a, con- in a world like Narnia
1: uh-huh.
0: that have to live away from the giants. Yeah. Especially if the giants are eating sentient beings. They're just eating everybody out here. Yeah. So it's... Uh, and the giants have, like, you know, a culinary institute. <laughs> like, <laughs> Apparently. They are... People have, like, any sentient life forms have been literally forced underground. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I think that that's, like, that's cool. Like, it's fun to, to dig around with that. Because, like, in Narnia, <laughs> we have dwarves as... People who live underground.
1: Yeah, some of them.
0: And that's it. Like,
1: Yeah. Are, are these dwarfs? We don't know.
0: Maybe. Maybe this is Moria. Mm-hmm. They dug too greedily and too deep.
1: Maybe they're black dwarves.
0: Maybe. But yeah, we have um, this darkness. I also wanted your thoughts um, from a theological perspective about this idea of being cursed for unknowingly eating the stag meat.
1: Uh, I mean, if you're, I don't know if I have anything there, like, I mean, if you're getting into Christian theology, like, there's not much in the way of curses unless you consider, like, the creation story where, like, Adam and Eve are cursed to, you know, toil and labor away and not live in paradise, and, you know, Eve is cursed with painful pregnancy. But, yeah, and, like, the original, like, The idea of the original sin but beyond that there's not really a concept of being cursed um so i don't know i mean lewis borrows from a lot of other theologies so
0: yeah i'm not saying from from exclusively christian theology i would like to know your thoughts about this concept of sin or transgression that's been done here Uh uh-huh unknowingly
1: I feel like if it's... And un- how
0: Puddleglum feels that he's now cursed. Yeah. And that he should kill himself.
1: I mean, I feel like if it's unknowing, it's not something they can be blamed for. Yeah. So, I do Puddleglum is also very overdramatic, and maybe, you know, he's casting a spell here to make sure they're not cursed. Yeah, but- true. <laughs>
0: but we also frequently have Aslan holding the kids responsible for things that they should have realized. Uh-huh. Like, he holds Lucy responsible for the sibling, for her not following him when she knew that she saw him, despite the fact that her siblings were not going to follow her, not going to go with her. Yeah. Like, and that she, they, they all said, no, we're not going.
1: Yeah.
0: And Lucy didn't feel like she could just peace out and go after Aslan. Yeah. And Aslan held her responsible for that.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, this is a situation where they couldn't have known.
0: They knew that the Giants were, like, they they failed to follow the signs. They ended up at the Giants' doorstep. Yeah. They knew that the Giants were scary. Uh-huh. But they had taken somebody else's word uh-huh. that these are gentle Giants. Yeah. And, like, they shouldn't have been there.
1: Lady of the Green Curdle.
0: They shouldn't have been there.
1: No. I don't have anything prepared. I can go sit down and come up with some notes if you really want to dig into this.
0: What do you think? What do you think Aslan's reaction to this would be? Oh, I don't there's there is a there is a the zombie survival handbook by Mark Brooks. Uh huh. And in it, there's a line that says, "Getting." Getting eaten by a zombie or getting killed by a zombie is the equivalent of a fighter jet getting blown out of the sky by a Nerf dart.
1: Uh-huh.
0: They're like, it's, it's just, you're dumb if you got atta- if you got killed by a zombie. Uh-huh. Like, Horde is different, but like, a zombie. Anyway, I just, I have mental images in my head every time the airplanes are flying over while we're trying to record of like shooting Nerf darts at them. Because uh-huh. like me being frustrated that there's noise coming from the sky is like so like, I, mean, I am a zombie or a Nerf dart trying to yell down at a at an airplane. Uh huh. Go away! Get off my lawn!
1: Yeah, they're upsetting. Yeah. Anyway, no. Oh, Aslan's reaction. Like obviously, Aslan's gonna have an issue with it. Uh, I don't think. I, I, I feel like I'm grasping here. I feel like you've got you got a little carrot on a string that you're dangling be like, go for it, go for it like you're wanting. You want me to get at something that you are I'm feeling not, here.
0: I'm not I'm not dangling something okay. in front of you that I have that I just want to get to. Like I just feel like this is an interesting exploration into the view Puddle glum has of Aslan that Aslan would hold them accountable for this. And I feel like there is a basis for this in the way that Aslan has held other kids uh, like responsible, Mm -hmm. including Edmund for, you know, like the deep magic that he betrayed and that then Aslan had to come fulfill Uh in order to protect him from what he had done by siding with the witch. Now he knew full well Truths about the witch. By the time he made the actual decision to betray his siblings, so like Uh there is an element there. But also, the first person he met in Narnia—like, why wouldn't they be trustworthy in the same way that the first person Lucy met in Narnia would be trustworthy, etc.? Like, he wasn't. Tumnus, and then we had the beavers, Uh and and the queen. Like, these are all some of the first people that we met. Yeah, and in the end. Half of them ended up being good guys. One of them ended up being a good guy eventually. And one of them was a bad guy.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I I I don't know. I mean, I I feel like Aslan's gotten no legal ground to stand on here because they couldn't have known other than like, oh hey, there's a general bad feeling about the giants, but
0: yeah, but they also should be accountable for what happened because they shouldn't have been there to begin with
1: yeah and i mean if you're going if you're going along that route like puddle glum should be held accountable for drinking the giant liquor like if you're gonna say that they shouldn't have consumed anything there and oh. that was like yeah this was also, not their first sin
0: also we have like the seventh time that puddle glum is described like a spider in this chapter yeah
1: It alternates between spider and frog.
0: Yeah, it's spider and frog and spider and frog. It's like, do you have no other way to describe someone with long limbs except spidery?
1: No, he's a spider frog.
0: He's a spider (laughs) frog. And that's it. Like, that is the only descriptions of him we get is spider and frog.
1: Yeah. Anyway. uh, Yeah. Sorry, I don't have more on that. I I wasn't expecting that to be a...
0: I know. I moved on. That's why we're talking about (laughs) spider frogs now and not theology. I moved on.
1: Spider frog. Should we move on to our rewrite? Sure. While we're moving on. Cool. What do we do in this one, Kristen?
0: Uh, in this segment, uh, while Chris and I were reading through the chapter, we each selected five sentences out of the chapter and attempted to create a new story out of them. This is our one creative activity that we do uh, ever. Uh, <laughs> anymore. We don't even build things in Minecraft anymore. Never. <laughs> so uh, we try to do a rewrite. We call this Narnia Chopped and Screwed, also the Narnia Fusion Buffet. Um, There's another name for it. Narnia Pocked and bruised. No, that's
1: baseless speculation.
0: (sighs) Um, And so we have...
1: Narnia Blackout Poetry, is that what you're going for? Yes, the Blackout (laughs) Poetry.
0: And so this is where Chris and I try to create new stories out of the content that we were given in the chapter, and since he read his summary first, I will read my rewrite
1: first. Go for it.
0: Though her tongue was never still, you could hardly say she talked. She prattled and giggled. She felt sure that a dog's teeth would close on her heel before she had gone inside. Don't try it till we're sure she's really asleep, whispered Scrub. What's wrong? asked the other two in a whisper. And gradually, even Jill came to see his point of view. So I was kind of going with this idea of, like, Eustace betraying Jill, leaving her behind. Okay. And Hmm. she's gradually coming to realize what his intentions are.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Um,
1: Let's see where you're going here.
0: Because, you know, she talks a lot. He's just over it. He's like, (laughs) bye, Jill. Yeah. We gotta go, but while she's asleep.
1: Yeah. Okay. I feel you.
0: So, there you go.
1: Cool. I feel like we both took a, a different take on Jill this chapter. Yeah. Uh, you might have done it more effectively than me. I tried really hard to do something. I don't know if I succeeded, but... we'll share uh... with us, and we'll <sighs> be
0: the judge of that.
1: I'll share with the class. All right. <clears throat> she now recalled that the most dangerous part of it was still to come. She could hear the music of the hounds. Suddenly a great clamor of giant voices arose, then shouts and hollas. From the sharp cries and swearing of the other two, Jill got the idea that many of the stones she was dislodging were hitting Scrub and Puddleglum pretty hard. The others admitted afterward that Jill had been wonderful that day. So it was my, it was my take on having Jill be, I don't know, different and taking more action, and uh, she's attacking the giants that are pursuing them. Okay. Yeah. Somehow. Somehow. Yeah. And, and in my head, she was, like, using some latent magical power or something, but, uh, yeah. Okay. This was this was her, like, going all out. Throwing rocks there. Yeah. Them. Okay. So I don't know if I got there successfully, but that's what I, was, what I was trying to do. I got you. Cool. Anyway.
0: So what's the next thing that we do, Chris? Well. Because, I, I mean, obviously... In our rewrites, we both kind of focused on Jill, and this chapter really focuses on Jill. So yeah. there's, I mean, I kind of took it to be like, hey, I'm going to take these presentations of Jill and make her annoying to the others. And you took them and said, well, I'm going to take these presentations of Jill and make her heroic to the others.
1: Yeah, that's what I wanted here.
0: And so we both we both kind of took different takes on Jill. Yeah. And yeah, like I don't know, she is kind of annoying, but she's also the most successful in this chapter at like putting the giants at ease and convincing them that they're not gonna try to escape so that they can then escape.
1: Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. Cool. Uh the the many facets of Jill. Yes. So the next segment, uh, it's baseless speculation. Uh and I am a person who has never read this book before and I don't know what's gonna happen. I've had no spoilers, so I take the uh, the plot so far and I speculate as to where it's going, baselessly. Hence the name. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, you mean
0: you have a self-descriptive uh, segment title? Yeah. That actually reflects the true intentions of the yeah, segment? It's
1: really crazy. Hashtag Narnia, pocked and bruised. Uh, but like, uh,
0: what are all the other podcast hosts <laughs> going to say?
1: I don't know. Um. So this one... Uh, is fitting to use the Narnia Pockton Bruise hashtag because I, I'm getting back into our mythos of the, uh, you know, the cosmology of the Narnian universe. Okay. And I feel like I have somewhere to go with this. Yes. So,
0: is this has to has to do with the Underdark, right?
1: Yeah. So as we, yes, as we as we're slowly building this, we have this idea. Narnia is in a crater, so Crater Narnia definitely confirmed, for sure. I still haven't figured out the ocean yet. We'll get there eventually. (laughs) But uh, Crater Narnia is a thing. Uh, Aslan being the star that fell and made the crater, also totally a thing. Okay. We've also established in the previous book that outside of, of sin that causes them to fall apparently stars can come down when they're just too dang old and they need to, like, refresh and get reborn and have the birds bring them stuff to get younger again. Yeah. uh, As Ramondu showed us. And he was just an old star who's just like, I need to rest for a while and have a few millennia of retirement and then come back to my younger self. Yeah. So I'm going to say Aslan uh, committed no sin here. I think I want to move away from the idea that this is his punishment because, like i don't think it fits uh and i think that aslan came down because he had just gotten too dang old and needed to refresh and like he's you know this is why he's barely there and plot wise because he's just relaxing most of the time he's just chilling he shows up when it's convenient but this is like a really long vacation for him you know just making singing trees and talking animals like it's a hobby Uh uh but anyway this is him coming down to um get younger and whatnot we have to harken back with that to our original discussion of Magician's Nephew, where we are introduced to the world of Charn, and you first came up with the idea of the Charn becoming Narnia theory. Yes. And I feel like we're getting to a point where we can marry these two ideas.
0: Ooh, you don't like my Charn theory, though.
1: I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You're I'm coming I'm, around? I'm, fr- I'm coming around to the Charn theory. All right. Because what is something that we knew about Charn when we went there? Like, it was dead. It was a desolate place. And the star over Charn seemed very old. Yeah. And very tired. Yeah. So Aslan was the star over Charn.
0: Yeah. Yes. And this, is,
1: and this was him. This yes. Was, and this was him getting old and tired. He comes down. He wipes Charn clean into a blank slate and then reforms the entire thing into Narnia. A
0: blank slate, or does he descend, fall, create a creator, and up in the mountains there's still the ruins of Charn. Could be. And its great civilization, and its culinary institutes. Yes. Which and the is, giants.
1: Which is where I'm getting to, where we went to Charn and found a desolate, destroyed place where, like, there were people there that were frozen by a magic spell, but for the most part, like, completely empty. And I would say... In my baseless speculation here, that maybe it wasn't necessarily, and maybe Jadis didn't succeed in killing everybody on the planet, and some had escaped, possibly hidden underground. Mm-hmm. And maybe, in this book, eons later, we've encountered what remains of the Charnians. Maybe. And that's who's underground. Maybe. These are these are Charnians. Like. There we go. You see, it works. <laughs> Yeah. There could
0: have been a whole underdark under Charn. Yeah. And like when the crater was formed yeah. from the falling of the star, it like, collapsed
1: all the entrances and It collapsed just down a there. lot of
0: the entrances, and that's what created these oceans.
1: Yeah. Hmm. hmm. And the okay.
0: edges being up in the mountains still have an intact underdark under them.
1: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> See, it's like you've been—you've been telling been me this been entire time. i telling you that Narnia
0: <laughs> is Charn for so long. Uh
1: huh. Hashtag Charnia.
0: Charnia. This
1: is our theory that we're throwing out there. Uh, anyway, so that's that's my marrying of these two ideas. I think they are they're Charnians. I don't know if they know that. I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna bring this up in the book because they've probably been down there so long their society is completely like evolved into something else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's my uh, that's what I got here. Yeah, that I like it. This is a uh, an evolved. Oh, I, w- I was saying much like the Telmarines, who completely forgot they came from Earth. Like, yeah, I'm not expecting these people to know who they are. Yeah, but for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: But they could have survived the dead sun because they, they lived in the dark anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's warm down there. Maybe they got like geothermal vents or something that they are uh, yep. surviving off yep. of.
0: Yep. Yep. Or there's giant like uh, dragon just heating it all up. <laughs>
1: You know, just the the warmth dragon. Yep. Just chilling down there. He's chilling. Uh, cool. So that's what I got. Um, I don't I don't think this is going to be confirmed in any way, shape, or form. But
0: okay. But it's be wrong. good.
1: Yeah. So I'm finally supporting your theory.
0: Yay! <laughs>
1: uh, so that's my baseless speculation.
0: Alrighty. righty. There we go. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to share?
1: I mean, I really want to get into like the like giant society and like what what else they have like maybe like maybe this is these are learned people. Maybe. Like, I really want to find out their seafood recipes because like we know they're seafaring and they're aware of uh, yeah squids and various things like that. Yeah. So, I bet giant calamari is pretty good.
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: As long as it's not a talking squid.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, mm-hmm. next week next week next week we're gonna be in chapter 10 travels without the sun Ooh.
1: yep bet it's dark down there
0: bet it's dark yeah and they don't have a tinder box to make light gosh yeah it'd be weird mm-hmm. all right so we have travels without the sun next week and that is going to be chapter 10 of 16 so we're getting we're really we're really making it through we're almost two thirds of the way through crazy almost
1: didn't expect to make it through this book
0: is that true? No. Okay. You really didn't expect to make it this far into this podcast?
1: No. No, I'm, I'm saying it's not true. I don't, oh, okay. I don't, I don't. Okay.
0: That's... I'm, I'm the, <sighs> you're saying no in a way that could be no <sighs> and yes.
1: <laughs> English is hard. Anyway. Anyway.
0: So, next week we'll be talking about that. And in the meantime, if you want to discuss this chapter with us or um, talk about why... We specifically mention that Eustace has a gold-hilted sword, and there is a child holding a gold-hilted sword on the cover of Chris's book. Who's attacking the snake.
1: Ah, oh, I didn't even notice that. You can discuss
0: that with us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of a gold-hilted sword at Chronically Podcast uh, at gmail.com.
1: I mean, if they fell a mile down a slope and, like, Puddlegum lost his tender box, but somehow Eustace managed to hang on to a sword that you'd like, you'd think would be the first thing to dig into the side of a hill as you're falling down it. Like, I'm going to say that's unrealistic. But.
0: And if you want to help us buy <laughs> a gold-hilted sword, you can do that at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, and until next time, um, anytime that you get into a hole, uh, bury yourself with little rocks
1: advice. Sorry,
0: anytime you're being chased by dogs, jump into a hole and bury yourself (laughs) with little rocks.
1: And don't forget to leave the scullery door open for puss.
0: Yep. Gotta make sure. (laughs) Bye. Bye. the word I'm looking for, when you eat humans. What is cannibalism? Cannibalism. Uh Like, this is cannibalism.
1: Yeah. Sorry, should I read this again? This is a weird parsed sentence.
0: Do it. Do it.
1: We pick five sentences and we read them. This is not a uh, Chris's handwriting analysis podcast. Yeah. Does
0: he say water?
1: Yeah.
0: And uh,
1: has anyone noticed how was warm a it joke, is? Oh okay.
0: since you really? <sighs>
1: <laughs> Suddenly a great clamor of giant voices arose, then shouts and hollas. it says in the book is it yes h-o-l-l-a-s (sighs) hollas this is why i wanted non-noisy chairs for the desks (laughs)